Well, good morning. I wasn't sure if I was gonna have a voice after that. And I was screaming. Anyway, welcome everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So just a couple quick announcements before we get started. First of all, VBS and Rhett Walker. Those are two events that we talked about last week. Um, and so a couple things that go with that. So one, we need volunteers for both. Um, so if you want to volunteer for VBS or if you want to volunteer for the Rhett Walker concert, you have an opportunity to do that by going on our app. So you can sign up and, and uh, go through there and sign up. And or as you're walking out at the Connection Center, uh, you can sign up there to be able to uh, help in that way. The other part of it is still tickets are on sale, so you can still get tickets to the Rhett Walker concert. And we still need volunteers for VBS. Okay, so if you want to volunteer for VBS, same thing. Go on the app. And if you can see the trend, if you don't have Life Church's app, I would suggest that you get it because it's a great opportunity for you to go on and see everything that's happening. It also gives you a chance to go back and listen to messages that we've had in the past and or podcasts, just the different things that we're doing um, here at Life Church. So I want to make sure that you, if you don't have the app, get the app. But if you, you know, still want to know what's happening or volunteer, be a part of it, you can do it out at the Connection Center uh, by just signing up on the clipboard out there. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to be. Now, I have to set this up with, if you haven't been with us, like if this is the first time you've been joining us online or the first time that you've been at Life Church, we've been in Revelation. This is our 12th week. Um, that we've been studying the book of Revelations. We're going to go all the way through uh, the book. But in that, we were following a timeline. And in this timeline, the beginning was there were seven churches, and we we're going to study the seven churches, and we we're going to see what we could learn from them. Then John entered the throne room, you know, and in the throne room, we got a picture of what heaven was going to look like. And then we came to this like uh, tipping point, right? And the tipping point was a scroll was presented in the throne room, and the scroll represented, again, the beginning of the end, right? Because once the scroll was opened, it meant that the beginning of the end of the world is going to happen, right? So it looks at the scroll, uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy to open up the scroll. There's seven seals on it, which represent the judgments that are gonna come on the earth. Once the seals start to be open, the end of the age or the end of this earth is gonna start to be ushered in now. We looked at that and we talked about it for a couple different reasons. One was is that we need to be ready for the second coming of Christ, right? Like that's something that you need to be ready for. It's something that you need to be prepared for. And scripture would tell us it's something that you should know the signs, right? Like you should know signs that are happening in this world to say, hey, the end is coming because for some people that aren't going to be prepared, right, like you need to get prepared. Like you see the end's coming, you get prepared, and then through that preparation, you get ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, in that, so that's where we're at in Revelation. So what we shifted to was what was called the Olivet Discourse that started in Matthew 24. And the Olivet Discourse was something that paralleled Revelation 6, right? So Jesus was saying the same thing that John said in here's what's going to happen as science to the end of the age. But Jesus took it further, and that's, this is why I want to make sure that we went to Matthew 24 and 25. Because he said, here's the signs of the end of the age. As we're looking at Revelation, this is just a topic that we already know. You need to get prepared and you need to be ready. But what if you're not? Right? What if you're not prepared? What if you're not ready? What does it look like if you get to the end and you're not at that place where Jesus 
goes on and says, hey, let me tell you, one, how to be prepared, and two, what happens to the people who aren't, right? Because here's the thing, and I think this is the emphasis that Jesus was telling his disciples in Matthew 24. This is the importance about the difference of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, right? The first coming of Jesus, John the Baptist came and he announced to everybody, guess what? Jesus is coming and you need to repent, right? So he prepared the way for Jesus to come. And so he was essentially showing people like, this is what you're gonna need to do. This, you know, you need to repent. You need to change things in your lives. And the great thing was is that those people from the coming of Jesus, right, till either the end of their life or the second coming of Jesus get a chance to change, right? They get a chance to repent, which is pretty cool, right? Like, hey, somebody told you you need to do something different in your life, and so now Jesus is here, and you can do something different in your life, and you can change things. That's the first coming. The emphasis that Jesus is talking about in the second coming, and this is why I think he's so adamant about telling them, you need to be ready, you need to be ready, you need to be ready. Because you know what's different about the second coming? And second coming meaning this. One, uh, the obviously second coming of Jesus where he shows up on this earth and it's over, and or the end of your life, right? Both of those times you're gonna meet Jesus, right? And he says, you know what you need to understand about that? There is no second chance, you don't get to do it over. You don't get to stand up there and plead your case. You don't get to go up there and say, well, you know, I wasn't prepared, but now I'm prepared. You don't get to go up there and, and again, talk through the issues of your life and say, I was distracted by life and I won't be distracted anymore. When the second coming of Christ comes, meaning you're gonna stand in front of him because of the death that you have, right? Like you're gonna die and if you die, then you're gonna stand in front of Jesus. If that happens, you don't get a second chance. You can't plead your case, right? And or if Jesus shows up today and raptures his church, you don't get a second chance either, right? So it's really important that you are ready and that you are prepared for what Jesus has. So that's why we're studying Matthew 24, which paralleled, you know, uh, the uh, Revelation 6. But it also said, I'm going to start this process with you to help you get ready. Okay, so this is how he started the process. One of the things that's going to have to change in your life, this is Matthew 24. Here's one of the things that has to change, your mindset, right? Most of us, if not all of us, are selfish. We're here for us. We want what we want. We go down the road and we think about what's best for us and we make most of our decisions based upon us, right? If you're going to be ready and if you're going to be prepared, here's a mindset shift, right? This is what Jesus would say. The mindset shift is, is no longer is it about you, but it's about other people, right? That's the shift. It says, I am a servant of Jesus and servants of Jesus do what? Take care of other people, right? So it's a mindset shift. You, if you are prepared and you are ready, here's one of the things we'll notice about your life. Your life is about other people, right? And we should be able to see those things. Then the other thing that he said is, not only will your mind shift when it comes to selfishness and being a servant, but it also changed from the stewardship standpoint. You will understand on this earth, once you get that you're a servant, you also understand that you are a steward, which means this, nothing, not your kids, not your husband, not your car, not your house, not your money, nothing belongs to you. Nothing. You are a steward of God's stuff, right? And he says, you want to know if you're ready? Check your mind. How am I doing with serving and being a servant and serving other people? 
and check your mindset of, are you living with closed hands or open hand? Right? Like check, this is what he says. So he's starting with this process of saying, if you're going to be ready and you want to know that the end of the age is coming and you want to know how you won't be surprised when Jesus comes back, like once you get to those places, then you will start knowing that one of the ways I can check myself is, am I living my life for other people? And am I using my resources as a stewardship? Am I looking at my children as not my own, but a stewardship of God's to raise up an army? right? Am I looking at the things that God gave me, my car, my resources, my home, my food? Is it something that God's given me so that I can steward it well so it can be used to further his kingdom? Now, here's the thing that I want you to get, okay? Because in this message or in these messages, one of, the, one of my fears is, is that you're just going to shut down because you're going to be like, oh my gosh, here we go. Like, you know, I, I don't have the right mindset. My life isn't about other people or I you know, I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm not really good about the stewardship piece of it. And I mean, I do think of everything as mine, but gosh, it just feels like you're harping on us. Well, here's what I want you to hear. And this set of messages, you know, and, and maybe even this whole series is like, listen to me. I would rather you know the truth and know you're not prepared than to be surprised someday when you stand in front of Jesus and he says he doesn't know you. Right? Like, I would rather you process this from this standpoint. Maybe if you are selfish and you don't care about any other, anybody else, maybe it's just okay to admit you're selfish and if Jesus came back, you're not ready. Right? I mean, it'd just be better to admit it on this side of eternity instead of getting on the other side of it and be like, oh crap, I can't do anything about it. Or wouldn't it be better to look at it and say, no, I've been living a whole life like everything is mine and I'm not a steward, but I'm an owner and all I care about is my stuff. Isn't it just okay to admit it and say I'm wrong and I need to do something about it instead of just dismissing it by an excuse? Well, the reason I'm selfish is because at this stage of life, I have to be. You ever heard anybody like that? Well, I have to be selfish because I have to take care of me. I have to, you know what I mean? Like it's this thing of like, we talk ourselves into the reasons we don't have to be stewards of God's stuff. Right? We talk ourselves out of this idea that scripture flat out says, if you are ready and if you are a Christian, you will live with open hands. Like you can talk around it all you want. You can discuss it and give excuses of why you're not. But I would rather you just say, nope, I'm not. I got something to work on. Because as long as you give an excuse, this is the problem you're gonna fall into the deception. Right? If you excuse away truth, then you will never get a chance for God to work in your life. Don't excuse away what's true. Just let God do what he needs to do, okay? So that's what he was prepping us for. And then in Matthew 25, he goes on, that's 24. And then in 25, he says, okay, now that you know these things, Okay? and you know the second coming of Christ is, is coming, and you don't know when it's going to be, and you need to get prepared, I'm going to tell you a few stories. This is what Jesus would say. I'm going to tell you a few stories. And in these stories, I want you to understand something. I want you to figure out, because this whole idea of these next three weeks, this week, next week, and the week after, is to say, are you ready and are you prepared? Right? Don't excuse away anything. Don't make excuses for why you're not. Just look at it for what the truth is right? And see it for what Jesus is trying to do. Because sometimes, you know why you, we miss messages sometimes? is because you're trying to look at this big, broad perspective, and I don't know how to put it all together, and I don't know how this makes sense. Here's why these messages are coming, for one reason. It's looking at you and saying, ask yourself this question, are you prepared? 
That's all this is about. So when Jesus was looking at his disciples, he said, the end is coming. You need to be ready. Now, I'm going to give you three stories. And in these stories, the whole thing I want you to answer is, are you prepared and are you ready? Don't give excuses. Don't, you know, say, well, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Just let it be whatever it is and then work it out. Does that make sense? Okay, so Matthew 25, that's where we're going to be going. So we're going to start there. And again, uh, in this, this, what we need to, just a quick reminder Matthew 25, you know, in the beginning, it's a parable, right? So the, the parable means it's a story, but the stories are made to teach. So Jesus was a great storyteller. He would use the things that were going on around them that was current, and he would say, let me use this example of everybody knows about weddings and, and the feast and the bridesmaids and, how, and the, how it all works. Like, you all know this, and I'm going to use this story, and I'm going to teach you something. And what he's trying to teach you is Back to what he was saying in Matthew 24, how do you get prepared, right? Now, in it, the important part about parables is, is that he's telling a story, but we have to recognize what it represents, okay? So you look at a story and in a parable and you go through it, if you're going to understand it, and you say, okay, what does this represent and what does this represent and how can I learn from it, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 versions. So it's saying at this time, meaning from the preparation period. So from the time that you give your life or say that you've given your life to Christ or the time that's leading up to the end of the age, that's what he's saying. At this time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so he's going to tell you a story of what's going to be going on when it comes to preparation and how we should be prepared. It'd be like 10 virgins who took their lamps out and met the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. So again, here's the idea, you know, this, this wedding banquet that's going on, talking about this idea of preparation and what they would be doing to prepare. And he uses that preparation process to teach us something. So here's what we need to know. So looking at the virgins, what do the virgins represent, right? This is really important. The virgins represent professing Christian people, okay? So in this story, what Jesus is trying to give you a picture of is all 10 of the virgins from how they professed would say that they were all the same. We're all professing Christians, people, and the lamps or the torches were their outside, their, their outward identity. So yes, I am a professing Christian, and we're all going to be doing the same thing in preparation. Does that make sense? The picture that he's trying to paint? So all of them would be people, if you went up and asked them, hey, are you a Christian they would have said, those virgins, that's what it's trying to, to say to each one of us. If you went up and asked somebody, are you a Christian? They would all say yes, and they would all have been doing the same thing to prepare, right? So for them, it would have been getting ready for the feast. They would have all looked exactly alike, just like what he's trying to say to us. There are going to be people that are professing Christians that are doing the same things that we're doing, but there's a difference. Five of them were prepared, and what about the other five? They weren't, right? Five were prepared and five weren't. Now, here's the picture. You can't miss this. This is what he's trying to paint for you. In this preparation process, looking from the outside, they all look the same. 
They all identified the same. They all called themselves the Christians and they were all doing the same. So what he's trying to teach all of us, right, and this is really important, right, what he's trying to teach all of us is that there will be people, right, and this is the hardest thing, there will be people identifying themselves as Christian people and there will be people that will be doing the same thing that you're doing today that will stand in front of Jesus someday at the end of their life or when he comes back and he will look them in the eye and he will say, I don't know you. Now, that's sobering, right? Because you realize scripture talks about this all the time. Many people will be deceived, right? That's a yes. Many people will be deceived. Few people, few people will be on the road that leads to life, right? So what Jesus is trying to do here is to say, listen, stop excusing away everything. Stop making excuses for everything. Here's a reality. There are going to be people that profess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and they are not going to be saved. That's a little confusing, isn't it? Because what's it say in the Bible? If you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're going to be saved, right? So everybody's kind of going like, ugh. How do you, how do you reconcile this? Because Jesus is saying in here, what he's trying to teach us is, is that there are going to be people that profess with their mouth. There are going to be people that show up into church. There are going to be those people that miss the boat, and there's a reason that they miss the boat, right? So for all of us, right, we got to figure out how to answer what I would consider the age-old problem, right, or the age-old question. How do you get to a place where you sitting in a message like this or you're talking through things like this and you, you're, you're asking yourself questions like, am I good or am I not good? Anybody ever sat through any of them? You know what I mean? Where you're sitting there like, holy crap. I mean, he's saying some of these things and I, I mean, am I saved? Am I not saved? I'm going back and forth. And I would just tell you, listen, don't do that. Just let the truth be the truth. I think what you're going to find today is you don't need to go back and forth and you don't need to, you know, try to wrestle in your mind. Just let truth be truth, right? Just let it be whatever it says it says, then you deal with it, right? That's the great thing about what he's trying to do today because in this, if this is going through your mind, James answers this, and James just doesn't answer it. It's actually answered throughout all of Scripture. But if you did have that question, like, I wonder if I'm ready, I wonder if I'm on the right side of this, I wonder if I'm really living out the faith that God called me to live, here's my suggestion, okay? I'm going to use a prayer phrase, but if you're actually in Matthew 25, you would write in your Bible, James 2, and in James 2, 14 through 17. So this is why. Because so, then you're going to go back because it supports this whole idea. Does that make sense when you're studying? So when you're studying, you're reading this and you're like, holy crap, I don't really understand what this means when he's talking about all of these virgins and they're professing to be the same. Well, if you go into James 2, that helps clarify what's going on. How could it be that two people identify the same, do the same thing, five of them were prepared and five of them weren't? James answers the question. Right? In James 2, now again, this is a paraphrase from the message. So when you read it, it's going to sound different, but it's going to say the same thing. Here's what he says, starting in verse 14. Dear friends, it's not going to be up on the screen because I want you to go back and study it later. Dear friends, do you think that you can get anywhere uh, in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? 
does merely talking about your faith indicate that a person really has it, right? That's that question I said. Scripture says, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you are saved. James says, does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? And this is where people inside of a church are always going like, uh, yes and no, right? Right? Yes and no. I mean, because it does say it, but what does, when you put it all together, this is what James is trying to help you see. When you put it all together, James is saying, you can't just merely, the parable is saying, you can't just merely profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord without something changing in your life, right? So he answers the question, for instance, he makes it really simple. This is why I did the message version, because he makes it really simple by giving an illustration. For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off, walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? And, and we're all going like, yeah, that's nonsense. You do it every day. I'm just telling you, it happens, right? Jesus, King of King and Lord of Lords, you're screaming it on Sunday. And on Monday, you're ignoring the needs of people, right? I mean, just again, let's just be honest. This happens. James says, like, listen to me. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to be about God's business. You just need to be about God's business. And if you're not about God's business, this is what I'm just telling you. Don't try to talk around it. We're going just of what scripture says today. Five of them were prepared. Five of them weren't. How is it that somebody who looks the same cannot be prepared? James says this is how. People who were professed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, but live as if he isn't. That's how it happens. People who would say, I want to be about God's business on Sunday, but do their own stuff on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and really you do it on Sunday too, except for the hour that you're here, right? Like that's just the way it works. That's how it happens. So this is what you need to do. Not like give the excuse around, like why am I not about God's business? You know what you should admit today? I'm just not about God's business and I need to change something in my life. Because he says that people who are, saved will do God acts, right? He says it in there. But what he says is faith without works is dead, right? So works, what are works? This is simple. Just, I want to make it as simple as I can. When Jesus Christ left this earth, he said, I have a mission and the mission for every single person in this room, and this is really important for you to hear. It does not matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, anything. Everybody has the same mission, okay? We're all tracking Age doesn't make a difference. How much you know doesn't make a difference. You know, how old you are doesn't make a difference. He said, everybody in this room, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the works that you will do, being a part of God's business, is the Great Commission. It's not talking around it. You can't talk around this. You can't say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible because the Great Commission is this, going to all nations, right? Reaching, teaching, and sending. That's what it tells you to do. 
You don't get an excuse. Doesn't matter how much you know. Do you get an excuse to reach, teach, and send? No. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what financial position you're in. Nobody gets an excuse. Faith will equal the works of your life will be about God's business. God's business is about the great commission or God's business is about other people. So here's what I just tell people, like if you wanna know if you're trying to read this and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you're trying to figure out where you land on this, just ask yourself this question. Are you, have you been about God's business? If I could look at your life and we could spend time talking about the things that you're doing, the question just asks this, how are you doing on your disciple making? Who are you reaching? Who are you teaching? And who are you sending? And if you're not doing any of those things, right, I'm sure in your mind you're saying, well, the reason I'm not doing it is because, and you'd like, you're going to put all these excuses. I would say stop with the excuses and just say this. Maybe you're not ready. Could that be? I know you don't want to shake your head because you're thinking in your mind, like, maybe that is me and maybe I'm not ready. And I'm just saying, like, I love this. Like, the great, you know what's okay about sitting in church today and saying, I might not be ready is, guess what? You're not dead yet. You're not dead. You get a chance. That's what's so great about it. I know everybody's in there. I don't really want to admit that I'm terrible. No, admit it. Way better before you're dead. Way better before Jesus comes back and just be like, the, because of the grace of Jesus Christ that I can be forgiven and saved and new beginnings and start and he can be king. But he'll never get there. Let me tell you this. He will never become the Lord of your life if you get excuses why he's not the Lord of your life. Because you'll give it for the rest of your life. I'm just telling you, you will. For the rest of your life, you'll just give an excuse after an excuse after an excuse of why he's not Lord. Right? And that's what he's trying to say. That's what James is trying to just get to the heart of when we're talking about how is it possible that people who identify the same, that some of them aren't going to be ready, those people that aren't going to be ready are the people that have been given excuses. Right? The people that, that claimed faith but did nothing about it to be prepared. Right? So that's part of the mindset. You can go back and study that later. Then he goes on in verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there not, not, may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're, but while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom had arrived the virgins who were ready went uh, in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, others uh, also came. Lord, Lord, later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. So what can we learn, right? So let's go back on it. There's two things that are highlighted, that when you look at the virgins who claim to be the same, some were prepared and some weren't, there were some things that we can learn to see how they weren't prepared and how we can learn from them. Here was the first thing. When the bridegroom came back, for the first time ever did they try to light their lamp. And it was then that they realized, oh crap, I don't have any oil. 
But think about this. Up until that point, they had never really thought about oil. They just thought about identity. Does that make sense? They never really thought about what it was going to take to get the lamp lit. They didn't really think about what it looked like, put it in our circumstances. They didn't really think about what it was like for a personal relationship with Christ. What he, they thought about is carrying the lamp and saying the right things, right? So that they could walk around and profess. But when it came time for Jesus to come back and the test came, right? When the test came and they went to light it, they're like, oh crap, this thing doesn't light without oil. How dumb of me not to bring oil, right? Now, what's crazy is you would surely think that anybody's carrying around a lamp would know that you need oil, right? Like common sense would be like, those little things don't light without some sort of a source, right? We would think that that would be normal. But I was thinking about this in my own life. So when I think about my own life and the way that I live, like the whole preparation thing, so when we go on vacations, this is a problem with me. So I work all the way up to like two hours before we're ready to go on vacation. And I never have my bag packed, even though I know that I'm supposed to pack my bag. And I always know that there are certain things when you go on vacations that you're going to need, right? Like if you go somewhere where you're going to go swimming, you should probably pack a swimsuit, right? So... It's like right beforehand, and if my bag's not packed, this is how I pack. I get the suitcase, and I just open a drawer, and I just throw whatever's in that drawer in, and then the next drawer, and I just throw whatever's in that drawer in, and then I zip it up, and I always say the same thing. If I don't have it, I can always buy it, right? <laughs> so the only thing I need to make sure that I don't forget is my credit card, right? Because if I didn't get that stuff in there, everywhere that we're going, I can buy what I don't have. Anybody? Anybody else that packs their way? Oh, I'm sure you don't, Sherry. Yeah, I know. You're one of the people that have the list to make sure that you're prepared. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But not all of us are that way. Like, in our mind, we know, like, we need these things, but we get to this place where it's like, until we really need them, we don't really know. Right? You get to that place until you open your suitcase. Or like, funny, we go on these ski trips. This is how my kids are. We go on these ski trips. And one of the things you think you would probably need to know when you go on a ski trip is that you should probably have ski pants and a ski coat, right? Like, you would be prepared. And you just tell your kids, pack your bags, right? Get ready to go on the ski trip. There are some necessities, right, that you need when you go skiing. You know what happens? It's happened on every ski trip with all of our kids. We get there, and they're like, hey, you're getting everything on. Where's my ski coat? I don't know. Where is your ski coat? I don't, I must have forgot to bring. How do you forget your ski coat, right? Like how do you, you're going skiing and you have no pants and no coat to be able to do this. Like this isn't going to work, right? You're going out where it's winter. You need to be prepared. But the same concept happens until you get there. Those problems can always be fixed, right? You know, that's kind of the great thing about life. You can fix most of those problems by going, it might cost you some money, but you can go to the ski shop and you can use your credit card or you can bail yourself out by, you know, going to wherever you need. The problem is, is that's how a lot of people live their faith. You see what I'm saying? Right? Like, you know what it means to be a Christian person. You know in your head, this is what I should be doing. You know these are the places that you're going to be going. You know that, that you should be living it out this way. But until it gets time, right, until it really gets to that place, you're just kind of like, eh, I'll wait till it's time to, to trim the lamp. You know what the problem with that is? See, in life, 
You can go to the store and fix it with your credit card. In the second coming of Christ, you don't get a second chance. You see why he's talking about it in this way? You, talk, you see why he's being so serious about this? Is because, yeah, in life we can live this way, and in life we can, you know, go down these roads and we can fix all of our problems because we get a second chance. But in faith, you don't get one, right? You don't get one. You don't know, right? This is the, this is the thing that he's talking about. In the preparation process, here's the one thing that you can be guaranteed you don't know the end of your life and you don't know when Jesus is coming back. All you can control is being prepared. Foolish was five of these bridesmaids because they didn't do the things that they needed to do to be, or these virgins to be prepared for what they needed. Foolish is we as Christian people that think until we get to that place and until we need it, we're gonna do anything about it, right? We need to live in a different way. So this is another one, another paraphrase, right, that, that you can read but you can go back to. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 9. So with this in mind, right, this whole idea of, like, you need to be prepared and you need to be ready. How do we know that we're prepared and ready? What should we be doing as Christian people professing Christianity to know that we're ready? And again, this is a paraphrase, but you could write it in your notes and you could go back and read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 9. Here's what it says. Test yourselves to make sure that you are, uh, you are solid in your faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, then just do something about it. Pretty simple, right? Test yourself. Take regular checkups. Back to what we can all celebrate. If you fail the test, guess what you get to do? Fix it. But if you never test yourself, this is what he's trying to say. People that never test themselves are the unwise people that will stand in front of Jesus someday. Hearsay, right? That's what he's saying. Saying that we are something, but then we stand in front of him and he's saying, I'm going to know you. I don't know who you are, right? Because you never got to a place where your faith was tested and you could never do anything about it. Now, how do you test your faith? Because if you aren't in a situation, like some of you have already been through it. Amen to anybody that's been through it. Like you've been through it and your faith has been tested and you, you figured out where you were when that thing happened in your life, right? Like some of you have never been there, right? And you're sitting here thinking, well, I've never had anything to really test my faith, so what do I do? And I always said, it's simple. Two tests. How you spend your time, how you spend your money. You want a test? Here's an easy one. If you have breath on this earth for one reason and one reason only, because this is the only reason you have breath on this earth, because heaven's way better than earth, and it'd be way better to be there, but he's chose to keep you on this earth for one reason and one reason only, the Great Commission, right? Are we still together? Thank you. One reason, one reason only, to make disciples. Reach them, teach them, and send them out. Here's a question. If I looked at your time over the past week, month, or a year, how are you doing making disciples? I, mean, I want you to think about this. Like, if there's nothing in your life that represents making disciples, what's that say about your faith? It's okay. If you're not making disciples, then something's wrong. 
I mean, you just need to admit it. Something is wrong in my life if I'm doing nothing to make disciples. Good thing I have a chance to change, right? If you're not doing it, just do it. <laughs> the great thing that he says, hey, if you're not doing it, you still got a chance. But make, the only way you're gonna change is if you admit you got an F on this test. If you're not gonna admit it, you're never gonna change it. I'm just telling you. If you excuse your way out of the commandments of scripture, you will excuse your way right to the throne room of heaven and you will go ushered into the place where people who give excuses go. Right? I mean, because that's what scripture says, not me. Scripture says for those people who excuse away the truth of why they did nothing, they professed with their mouth, but they didn't change anything. People, again, back to what are we looking at? Being prepared? Five of them weren't prepared. Why weren't they prepared? Because they excused away the reason why they weren't ready. And so will a lot of people that are sitting in church today excuse away why they're not about God's business. I'm sure 10 of them came to your mind when I said, well, look at your week or look at your month. And you're like, oh, crap, my week and month are terrible. <laughs> and you'll be like, but the reason that they were terrible is... Come on, right? Like, this is where my mind goes. When I was evaluating my weeks, like, crap, right? I need to be about God's business. And then the other one's really simple because scripture is so clear about this one. You know, when we look at our time, we got to, you know, kind of try to figure this one out. And we're, you know, you got to go back and you look at how you spent your time. But how you spend your money is simple. He just flat out tells you this. You want to know where your treasure lies? Look at where you spend your money. You want to know whether or not your faith, this is why he tells you all the time, you want to know where your faith is? Let me see what you do with your possessions. So I've always told people, you want a real test? You want a real test? Start giving away some of your money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just telling you, you want to know where your heart really is? Start giving away your money. And I, and I want to make this clear. Like I've been t talking about this. I want to make sure that I continue to talk about this. This is for every age. So if you're a young person right now and you're making money, you don't have an excuse to not give your money away. They're like, but I barely make enough to go to Taco Bell. I don't care. <laughs> Isn't this right? Like we, we think that once people get old enough, then that's when they have to really give away their money. Anybody? Right? Like once they get to a certain age, they should give away your money. Whatever money you make, you better give it away. You better give part of it away. Why? Because if you don't, I guarantee you, you'll excuse away for the rest of your life why you don't give away your money. You will live like this for the rest of your life. No, I won't. Once I finally make money, I'm just going to speak from experience. The more you make, the harder it is to give away. The more you have, the harder it is to share. So if you're a young person today and you'll be like, but I barely make anything. One of the greatest testimonies of life church giving here was from a college student that used to give five bucks. I can't remember the number, but it wasn't much. But for her, it was everything, right? She made a decision. It's going to cost me something that I'm going to give. And it was like regular, right? I'm just regular, regular, regular. It's like, I'm going to do that. The point just is somebody made a decision. It's not mine. It's all his. I'm going to live with open hands. Age doesn't matter. If you want to test your faith, test your faith, whatever your age is, and let reveal whatever needs to be revealed, right? Don't wait till it's time to trim the lamps and you're like, holy crap, the thing doesn't light. I don't have any oil and I don't know what to do, right? Test it beforehand. 
Make sure that you are ready. If you want, if you have to manufacture it, it's easy. Schedule some time and give away some money and I guarantee you, you'll start to figure out whether or not you're a selfish person living for you and a greedy person living for you. You just will. And it's okay. Just admit you're selfish and greedy and change it. Good? Right, that's the stuff that he gives us. That's the stuff that he wants us to be prepared for. Here's the other thing that he does. In this moment, we think it's insignificant, but it's really significant. So they went to trim their lamps and it didn't work. And at that time they were like, oh crap, we didn't even think about oil. We need to think about oil. But you know their response after they figured out they didn't have oil? You know what the first thing they did? What did they do? They ask it from somebody else. You know why that's significant? You know what Jesus is trying to paint a picture of? Is he says, in this, it's no different than it is in Christianity today. People living off of somebody else's faith. You know what's funny about that? <laughs> because this tends to happen in uh, relationships, husband and wife relationships. A lot of times the husband lives off the wife's faith. You know why that, you know how we know that that's true. One, you can just watch. And two, you know what the second largest attended service on a Sunday is? Mother's Day. You know why? Because moms are saying, if you can give me one gift, just get to church. Moms, you know what the least attended service is in all of the Sunday mornings? Father's Day. Right? Think about it. Is it not true that way too many times passive men are just living off their wife's faith instead of saying like, no, I'm, I'm in, right? It's my faith and I'm gonna have my own relationship and we together are gonna go down these roads. Like this is a reality, right? So he's trying to paint this picture like if you've been living off your wife's faith, you need to get your own. Because in the end, this is going to be a problem. You can't ask somebody for something that doesn't come from them. Right? Your wife can't give you what you need for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Don't let anybody deceive you. You, men, or even if it's the other way, women, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's yours, and it needs to be yours, and you need to take ownership for it, and you need to stop excusing away why you don't have it, right? Men not need to stop excusing away while it's not their faith and making it okay, right? It's not okay, right? And he makes it very clear. You know the other problem? And I want, I want you to hear this. So young people, if you hated the whole message, listen to me. Okay, and parents, listen to me too if you have young people today. There is an epidemic problem of kids living off of their parents' faith and never having their own. The profession that they are Christians because they grew up in a Christian home. Professions that they are Christians because they go to church. And you know why we know this isn't working? You know, what, you know the biggest gap in missing people in the local churches today? People that leave high school until they're forced to come back to church someday when they get a family. You know why? Because their faith 
was, parents, yours. And we excused away why it's okay. You know, I've always said this. The craziest thing to me as parents, like I'll never understand this. The greatest expectation we have of our children is, can you please just get up and come to church? I'm like, oh. Do you know why, they, you know why they're there? Because you have zero expectations of them. If you're a young person today, listen to me. The, some of the greatest leaders in Scripture were young people. If your excuse is, well, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I'm busy and I'm in school and I do. Listen, it just gets worse. It just gets worse. <laughs> like, if your excuse is, like, I got all these things going on. I'm telling, I don't read my Bible and I can't hardly get to church and I can't hardly get up and I can't do it, right? Like, this is excuses of young people today. Like, I don't read my, my own Bible and I just wait and I come to church or somebody else does devotions or I do my devotions when my mom reminds me. I'm like, you're 16. You're 16 years old. Your mom has to remind you to do your devotions. Let me just be clear with you. I want you to hear this. Maybe you're trying to get oil where you shouldn't be getting oil from. And maybe... Just maybe, young people, you're not prepared. And you're not ready. Don't excuse it away. You know, don't, don't, don't look at it and be like, you know, when I get older, that's when I'll really get in. That's when I'll really do it. And that's when I'll really be committed. Listen to me. It just gets harder, young people. Listen to me. It just gets harder. There are more distractions, more difficulties, and more things going on in your life. If you don't create a discipline of a relationship, it's just going to get harder to do, okay? So in this, this is an epidemic problem, right? And it's not just kids. It's, it's people getting their faith from somebody else and living off their faith off somebody else. And he would say, you know what part of the problem is? Those people are going to be like the five who were not prepared because in the end, you're not going to be able to go to your wife parents or kids, you're not going to be able to go to your parents. When you stand there and, and it's the end for you, whether it's the end of your life or Jesus comes back, you don't get to be like, mom, give me some oil. Wife, give me some oil, right? Like you don't get that chance, right? It's very clear that at the end of all of this, right? Like this is, this is the problem. Like this is the thing that he's trying to paint to you. You should take this serious. You know why? Because those people, once they finally realized, oh, crap, didn't bring any oil, wasn't prepared, can't get anybody for somebody else, they, they finally came to their senses. And then what they do? They went to buy some oil. But hear me. They came back with their oil in their mind prepared. And what did they find? The door was closed. If you want something that's sobering, that's sobering. When the door is closed, meaning the end of your life or Jesus comes back, it doesn't matter where you go, it's too late. And you don't get another chance to be able to go down those roads. And so, you know, this whole preparation thing that he's talking about, you know why you should take it so seriously? Because here's what you don't know. You don't know that you get tomorrow. You don't know. Anybody that's lived through death, you don't know when those things are happening. You don't know when that's going to come. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
One of two ways, your health and or Jesus is coming back. You don't get it. So he's just saying, before the door is shut and you can never open it again, look at reality in your life and get it right. Stop giving excuses of why you're not where you need to be. He's just saying, I want you to be prepared. So the worship team's gonna come back up and I wanna give you the end of what he says. Okay, so just get prepared, know all of these things. He tells us his story and then he ends with a therefore. So do we remember what therefore is, what we do with a therefore? Circle it. Why do you circle it? Because he says, if you do know all of these things that just happened in the story that I told you, and if you do understand what's going on in the story before, therefore, you better do something about it. Right? Therefore, you should position yourself in a way to take the information that you just got and do something about it. Right? Like, that's what you should do. And so, in that therefore, this is what he tells us. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. How do you keep watch, right? How do we get to this place as Christian people that we could say, you know what, I've been watching, I've been waiting, I've been seeing, my eyes are open, I understand what's going on. How do you get to that place? And how do you, how do you get to the place where you can say, not only am I keeping watch, I'm ready. Right, because that's what this whole preparation process for is the scrolls are being opened in Revelation 6, you knowing the end is coming, and then we get to the place where not only do we know the end is coming, I'm ready for the end. I'm ready for him to come back today. I'm ready if my life was over today. I am ready. Like, how do we get to that place? Well, I want to give you this one last scripture, okay? So this one last scripture again, something can go back and confirm everything that's going on. This is in Luke 21 starting in verse 34. Again, another message paraphrase, but saying the same thing. Be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled, right? Because we are living with expectations. Amen, anybody that lives in an earth that you're ready to get out of, I am, <laughs> right? I'm ready, I'm living with the expectation of him coming back or me being done, right? I'm ready, right? That's what he's saying. So be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled. You know how it gets dulled? By parties and drinking and shopping life, busyness, right? The things to just try to make it through dull our, our, our senses in that. It says, otherwise, that day is gonna come up and take you by complete surprise. Spring on you suddenly like a trap. For it's going to come on everyone, everywhere at once. So, whatever you do, here's what he tells us. If you want to keep watch, if you want to be ready. But whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel, right? So don't lose your expectation of the end. You know, you don't fall asleep at the wheel. Live expectantly for your life to be at an end or Jesus to come back and that you're gonna be preparing the whole way. Live expectantly. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't get caught up with just doing life and the busyness of life. And... He tells this, and pray constantly that you will have the strength and the wits to make it through. Everything that's coming and end up on, everything that is coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Here's a suggestion I want to give you, and I don't know if you want to take this suggestion or not, but this is something I do on a regular basis. God, test me today. I want to be tested. I want to know that I'm on the right side. I wanna know through regular checkups because you give me the opportunity to see where I'm at in my faith. 
right? And so I pray on a regular basis, God, whatever it is today, test my faith. Ask me to do things that are going to test my faith, right? And I want to be obedient in the way that I know that I'm going to end up on the right side of all of this, right? I want with no, no idea that I would ever end up on the wrong side. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm on the right side. You know why? Because when he tests me, I listen. When he asks, I do. I'm going to be on the right side. There's going to be no questioning. Am I where I need to be? Yes. You know why? Not because of the profession of my mouth, but the profession of my mouth and the acts of my life are going to be a solidification that I'm not going to be one of the deceived. I don't want you to end up at the end of your life being surprised, right? If you don't want to be surprised, just do this. Pray that God will test you. I don't know if you want that, <laughs> right? I don't know. But I'm telling you, here's one of the things you can be guaranteed. That test, you might think, oh my gosh, it's so hard on this earth. But believe me, better to be tested here and know where you stand than to stand in front of him someday and to go to a place where you can't ever change for eternity. Take the test on this earth, believe me. There can't be anything that he isn't gonna give you the ability to be able to, to not handle, but get through with him. Does that make sense? So that's what I would suggest in this. Pray, think expectantly, live expectantly that he's coming back and pray for him to test us so we can realize where we are so that we can make the adjustments we need to be or just stand up and say, you know what? I can still scream at the top of my lungs. Hail King Jesus because he is my king. Not by mouth, but by life and the things that I do. Can you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, as we come together today, one of the greatest things and hardest things is you're gonna give us these stories and they're difficult to hear sometimes that maybe we're just not prepared or maybe we're not where we need to be. And so it's hard sometimes to realize the truth, but the, but the truth is what we need, right? In our lives today, it's the truth that we need to be able to make the changes that we need to make. Lord, don't let any of us excuse away what's true and be deceived for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray in this church and over all, each one of us that when truth is revealed, we won't excuse away truth. We'll accept it and move to a new reality, the place that you want us to be. Heavenly Father, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. What an honor to be invited to the marriage of the Lamb, to come and worship Him. Celebration, it's the joining of the bride and the Son, the two becoming one. All the prophecies fulfilled and in a moment so we sing like the Give him.
got your healing oh just receive it receive the freedom come on oh can you feel it heaven is reaching oh can you hear it our god is speaking oh can you see it he's got your healing oh just receive it receive the there's like these questions like what do I do next where do I go and I got to make sure I'm right listen just land on this Holy Spirit just fall on this place in your heart flood you with the Holy Spirit flood this place and you're gonna know not you're just going to like if you let that happen in yourself and happen inside of this church we can all know like if you do those things we're gonna be ready prepared anticipating and we're gonna welcome the end, right? And we're going to welcome, you know, him and his coming back. So again, just think about that as we go out this week. So thanks everybody for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online and we'll see you guys next week.